0: I'm going to assume that since things are quietening down, perhaps we can go ahead and start. We might be maybe a couple of three or four minutes early, I don't know. But uh, if you want to, and I encourage you to read along your Bible, begin in Colossians chapter two. We're going to look just very quickly at verse one, and then we're going to jump down to verse 16. The title uh, on, on, that you see on the slide, may seem just a little bit uh, strange because we've been talking about Christ and you wonder, well, how in the world does that relate to the study of Christ? Well, I hope I can show you that. For one thing I'll point out, verse 1, uh, Paul in writing this says, I want you to know what a great conflict, or some translations use the word struggle. So Paul's dealing with an issue that's of great significance to him. He considers it a great conflict, a great struggle. And as we move down toward the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 16, he begins to home in in great detail uh, as to what that conflict or struggle is all about. He's been prepping the people so far uh, to show them the nature of Christ and why uh, the message that he has for them uh, is so important. Now, He's starting to get into that uh, in quite specifics, and it has to do with freedom or liberty. Now, neither one of those words are mentioned in Colossians chapter two, but if you read what is behind all of this, the uh, those false teachers that they were confronting there confronted with were really trying to teach them things that infringe it infringed upon the liberties that they enjoyed in Christ. And what he's he's saying here uh, that we'll get into in just a moment is don't be be bound by human rules, don't lose your freedom in Christ because of some uh, people who are teaching you something different. Uh, In other words, I think he's saying to them, rather than give in to this uh, phony wisdom that these people are putting forth, give, uh, give uh, preeminence, give in to the, to the freedom you have in Christ and the authority of Jesus Christ. And that is really, in a nutshell, I think what the lesson is all about. Now, let's look at some specifics. But first of all, I do want to do A brief review because this is the foundation that he's laid for them. Jesus is all sufficient for you. Jesus gives you all the freedom, all the liberty that you need. And he does that in several ways. And this uh, is just a short list of things that he's mentioned. If we made the whole list, I would have had to make several slides to provide a complete list. But he tells them all the treasures of wisdom... And knowledge are stored up in Jesus Christ. And he had early prayed for them with with regard to their wisdom and understanding. Jesus is the very fullness of deity of God. He has the full nature of God. Therefore, you should listen to him. As Christians, you are complete. And I mentioned last week, I think that that word complete has more or less the same root as the word fullness so in a way it's kind of saying Jesus is full of God and he has the ability to make us full of him of course not full of God but full of all of his spiritual nature and he then speaks about several things and we went over these last week that he, that demonstrates his authority, his rulership. He, he demonstrates authority over sin uh, because it tells us that our sins have been forgiven. He demonstrated a, a preeminence or authority over the law because he nailed it to the cross. He demonstrated authority over all evil all principalities and powers is the term that's used there. So he has preeminence, he has all power, authority over all evil. And what he is saying to them is you have liberty, you have freedom in Christ. And he begins in verse 16 and he begins to tell them uh, some of the aspects of that, that these people are trying to Deny to them beginning in verse 16 he says don't let these people judge you unfavorably and we might use the word condemn there don't don't let someone condemn you uh, because of the freedoms that you are enjoying in Christ don't let them restrict you in the food and the kind of drink and this was probably carried over from Judaism. Although the Gentiles in some of their own pagan worships had uh, holidays and feasts and kinds of foods that they uh, observed as well. It says You're, uh, Paul goes on to tell them, "You're not required, don't you are not it is not necessary for you to keep festivals, new moon, Sabbath, as the law suggested, or again, as some of these pagan religions suggested. These things that these people are touting are really just a shadow. But the one that's the reality, of the substance, is the word that he uses there, is Jesus Christ. So don't allow your freedoms to be taken away by these people who advocate uh, these things really in addition. It may be okay to do what you're doing, but here are some other things that you must do uh, in order to be pleasing. Now, the Bible very emphatically states that we have freedom in Christ. Galatians 5.1, Paul speaking there says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And I do want to <clears throat> divert off some from our look at Colossians because there's a passage over in the book of Romans that very much relates to this and I think will give us a much better understanding of what it means to have liberty or to have freedom in Christ there are privileges there are blessings that we enjoy we are free of certain things because we are in Christ and some people abuse that in one way or another And perhaps you are familiar. Maybe you've encountered something of this sort in the past. Does anyone have anything that comes to mind as to how people in the church, again, or people who pretend to be uh, faithful Christians, uh, how they might abuse or misuse the liberty that we have in Christ? Anything come to mind? Maybe it's not something you think about very much. Uh, I think we all certainly appreciate the freedoms, the liberty that Christ has given us. But then some people would say, well, uh, you know, you have this or that benefit, blessing in Christ. But here are some other things that I think you should also include in your walk with with Christ. Anyone, as I've chattered on about that, anyone have anything to come to mind as to how our liberties may have been abused by others? Well, let me suggest one or two anyway. Uh, Some people will argue uh, in this fashion, and you will hear some people Fortunately, hopefully not too many, but some people in the church even will argue, well, the Bible doesn't specifically address this particular thing. It doesn't forbid it. Therefore, you're free to do as you please in this regard. And they'll bring up things that you try to bring up the instrument. Of course, that's one of the favorites. Uh, But other things that uh, may... uh, bring up as as, uh, out of some sort of moral teaching or some sort of moral practice. One of the things that Paul cited in uh, Romans chapter 6, he said some of the people were saying, well, let's sin more because we get all this free grace. Uh, That's another way I think some people, I've received grace Therefore, I'm at liberty just to do whatever I want to. Uh, Well, all of those are things that that have occurred in one way or another. Uh, And perhaps the, uh, the worst abuse that I've seen of that is that some people, and it usually is a minority, will say, you know this. I've studied the Bible, and, and this is what I find, and this is what I must do, and also because the Bible says it, you must do it as well. Uh, and there have been a number of examples of that in the past. Of course, some of the historical things are like the the one cup argument that went on for a number of years. People even argue about the times. Of worship and that sort of thing and say, well, you must do it at this time or that time. But uh, a small minority trying to impose their opinion, really, on others. And that's what I want to speak about in Romans chapter 14. I'd like us to speak, a, think a little bit about these, uh, this matter of freedom as it's discussed there. In Romans chapter 14, and actually the whole chapter of Romans 14 and most of chapter 15 have to do really with one subject, or primarily one subject, and that is how should we handle the matter of individual, personal opinions. That chapter begins with verse 1 in talking about the faith, and there that's specifically talking about the doctrine of Christ, the gospel, the truth. But then later on in that chapter, the word faith is used several times. And you may need to go and study this on your own and spend some time thinking about it. But I think the word faith there is used in in terms of meaning my own personal faith with regard to some matter. And in the context of that chapter, in the context of Colossians 1, some people were of the conviction that they needed to keep the Sabbath as well as the Lord's Day. And therefore, they were trying to impose that. This chapter 14 and part of chapter 15 deals with this strong personal conviction that someone might have and calls that their faith. And he talks about it. Uh, in these verses here that I've shown on the slide, and uh, <clears throat> I'd like, like, if you would, to just read those along with me, and I want you to notice particularly some things that I have highlighted there. Beginning in the middle of verse 13. But rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall, uh, or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, and he's talking about clean and unclean foods and and, uh, other matters considered clean and unclean, do not destroy with food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. There are a couple of principles, important principles here that have to do with the matter of Christian liberty. Uh, In other words... I have freedom, something that I may hold as a strong conviction in my heart. I am not, according to this passage, to make that a cause for you to fall, to stumble spiritually, perhaps even to be lost. And he gives some rules to govern that. Notice in the middle of verse 15, you are no longer walking in love. If you try to impose your own personal opinions on people and condemn them for not following after you, you are not acting according to the principle of love. And then, in, down, down in verse 17, he talks about the nature of the kingdom. It's not about eating and drinking. And again, we're talking matters of opinion here, not talking about, for instance, alcohol or that sort of thing. He's talking about things that were considered. Uh, certain kinds of foods okay or not okay as far as the Jews were concerned but then he goes on and tells them that the kingdom is not about these things that you have personal convictions about but they are about these important relationship words righteousness our relationship with God with Christ peace peace the relationship the right relationship that we have in Christ And joy, the sense of joy that we have, no matter what our circumstances, because we are in Christ. So these are important criteria, I think, that help us understand, begin to understand this matter of opinion. It is a matter of love. Then he goes on, and there's some other things in uh, chapter 14, and this jumps back to uh, beginning at verse 5. And I've highlighted three things here and these are three principles that will help us to understand this matter of freedom or liberty. One person esteems one day above another and another esteems every day alike. One person has one opinion, one has another about certain days. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord and he who does not observe the day to the Lord he does not observe it. But he who eats, eats to the Lord. For he who gives thanks, and he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Notice again the things that I have highlighted there. First of all, in verse 5. Let each be fully convinced. If you're not fully convinced in your own mind, how can it be a matter of right or wrong? This is, talking about an opinion I might hold, this is my personal faith, my firm conviction. If I don't hold that, then uh, how can it truly be a matter of faith for me? For us as Christians... We need to study, we need to pray, and we, do, we need to wrestle with some of these issues that we're confronted with, that people would have us take, try to cram their opinions down our throat and say, this is something that you must observe. And again, I'm not talking about the doctrine uh, of Christ and principles of truth in the, in the New Testament, talking about things that people come up with and invent uh, as something that is required. It's absolutely necessary. Notice in verse 6, he says that he who observes these things observes it to the Lord. If it's not to honor the Lord, then why are you doing it? Certainly, we don't do things. We shouldn't as Christians do things our own personal benefit, our own personal personal enjoyment, or to seek honor in some way. And then in verse eight he says, remember this, that we live to the Lord. The reason that we should not judge and condemn other people in their personal convictions or in some that we hold strongly is because we all belong to the Lord. We all live for him. And I'm not free to say I have this opinion and you must do it also along with me. I have no right. Christ is the only one who has the authority to bind things on us, not, not we ourselves. Now, we certainly can teach and preach those things, but as far as binding, having the authority to do it, that belongs to Jesus Christ another place in Romans 14 at verse 22 says you have faith have it to yourself before God happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves again he's suggesting this matter of if you have an opinion even though you may feel about it very strongly Hold that to yourself before God and behave in the way that you think you should before the Lord because you're convinced that it's right or that it's wrong for you to do a certain thing. This is the uh, matter of freedom. And this is, I think, what he's addressing here when he tells these Colossians, don't be caught up in these certain kinds of days or these traditions that he's spoken of earlier But let each of you be fully convinced in his own heart, in his own mind, in his own faith. Then he goes on in verse 18 and says, let no one cheat you of your reward. And he lists several things there that ways that these people were advocating that could be classified under that word cheat or deprive them of, of their reward their, they were in, <clears throat> instead of allowing people to enjoy the reward of all of the things that he had talked about under Jesus Christ they were seeking to take all of that away by saying well all of this uh, uh, you need to demonstrate humility and you do that by abusing yourself uh, you do that to uh, abase yourself uh, show this what really was phony humility we'll remember that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount condemned people for uh, acting in a certain way they would put on sackcloth and ashes and try to appear to be very humble Jesus warned against that uh, and Paul is warning about that as well and he said that these people intrude into things he has not seen now this one is sometimes difficult to translate so various translations have have it uh, have understood it differently but what it seems to suggest is that they are <clears throat> looking at things that they claim That are unseen. Such as spiritual things. Spirit things. Uh, Angels for instance. Are mentioned specifically in the context there. And he warns them in verse 18. That these people are vainly puffed up. By fleshly mind. Again this is this idea of false humility. They are in reality being very proud. And arrogant. Uh, they They are puffed up. And then he sums the whole thing up and says, these people are not holding fast to the head that is to Jesus Christ. The things they're teaching are not what Jesus has taught, not what these, you've heard from the apostles, have taught. Uh, This uh, relationship that we have as Christ, with Christ rather, is, is the most important thing that we have as Christians, as individuals. And if we do not hold on fast, and he's talking about the idea of just putting a fir- getting a firm grip on and not giving up. And these people are guilty of not holding fast because they're teaching other things. Now, these are these things listed here, these four things, uh, might wonder why in the world do, does something that maybe had some meaning to the people in Colossians, why does it have uh, any significance to me? And maybe that seems a bit of a stretch, but let me see if I can suggest some things perhaps for us to think about. Uh, There are some folks who practice what is called in this context false humility. They claim to put themselves down in order to show themselves as a humble person before the Lord. And there are some real live examples of that in Christendom today. The monks, for instance, they practice self-denial. They deny themselves of this or that so-called pleasure of life. There are a number of groups that practice this sort of thing. The things not seen that are mentioned here. Uh, one thing that occurred to me in thinking about this, there are a lot of people who essentially advocate the idea it's, it's better felt than told uh, kind of religious experience they claim some kind of religious experience because they are among the very faithful. When indeed, uh, perhaps like the guy who was the snake handler who was unwilling to open the box, uh, they, they didn't really want to see it, but they claimed they were seeing things uh, beyond what ordinary humans could, could see. Of course, false humility is condemned by Jesus, and he's the only one that uh, can approve real humility. Not holding fast to the head. Well, sometimes any of us, I think, perhaps have found ourselves in a situation where we allow the distractions of our life to take us away from where we ought to be keeping our focus. The next point that Paul makes here is he makes the point, and again he's coming back to Jesus, the all-sufficient, preeminent, supreme Lord. He is the source that powers the body, and he highlights that in verse 19, where he says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and it together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. He highlights the fact that Jesus is the head. And these people were forgetting and in, in trying to impose their will on others that Jesus is the head. He's the one that has the authority. He's the one, the only one, who has the authority uh, to determine when, what, and where as far as what the body will do. And this tells us to hold fast to the head again. That idea of hanging on firmly—that's uh, where your freedom is. Hold fast, hold fast to the one who gives you uh, that freedom. And it talks about nourish the uh, joints and ligaments, nourished and knit together by the joints and ligaments. Now, the joints and ligaments—I think—he's talking about us as individual members of the body. But we are, not, we are not the source of spiritual food. Christ is the source of spiritual food. But it is we as individual members, as joints and ligaments, who tie the whole body together, who create the unity uh, that, uh, that must exist if Christ indeed is going to feed his body and if we are indeed going to serve as his body. So nourishment comes from Christ, it comes to us, and we as individual members uh, are a part of the unit that holds all of that together so that Christ can indeed feed us. And he talks about uh, Christ as the ongoing, continuing, uh, and the only source of, uh, of nourishment for the body. And again, he's talking about these false teachers and how they've severed their connection to the head. They are not connected to the source of power. They're not connected to the source of nourishment. They're denying that very thing. Then he goes into verse 20 and 21. And I ask the question, and he asks the question, why would anyone want to live in the world? Notice in verse 20, Therefore... If you have died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, all of these things that you gave up, and including some of the things these false teachers are advocating, why, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Why do you want to give in to all of these opinions, really, that these people have that they're trying to tell you, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle? This uh, verse 20 made me think of Jesus' words when he told us that we're deny ourselves and take up his cross and follow him. So if we have done so, if we've accepted this all preeminent Jesus Christ and we have uh, established our faith in him, then we should indeed deny ourself uh, like this is pointing out and taking up our cross. Denying oneself is not giving up certain kinds of foods at certain times of the year like some religious people celebrate. Uh, It is not giving up some of the pleasures of life. It is giving up yourself. If you deny yourself, you give up self and turn over and submit to Jesus Christ. So don't give in to these basic principles of the world. And then he goes on, and he, he mentions uh, some other things here. I mentioned uh, Luke 9 and verse 23, giving up, uh, denying himself, one total gives up themselves totally submits to Jesus Christ and then keeps on following after him. Then he gives them in verse 22 and 23 three reasons that they should not live in the world. And by the way, that you should not accept these teachings that they're advocating of certain holidays, certain kinds of food, that sort of thing. All of those are really things of the world. And the difference between what these people were trying to do and what we read about, have looked at just very briefly in Romans 14. Romans 14 has to do with matters of opinion that I do not try to impose upon you and vice versa. Here in Colossians chapter 2, these people were trying to impose their ideas of food and drink and so forth uh, on their fellow Christians. Three reasons not to do that that he gives. He says in, in verse 22, which all do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, all concern things which perish with using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These are philosophies, Of the world, such as legalism that was advocated by the Jews. You have to not only keep the Jewish or Christian law, but you have to also keep the Jewish law. But Paul points out that those things perish. These are doctrines of men, not of the preeminent, all supreme Jesus Christ. These are things being advocated, made up by men. And then in verse 23, he says, These indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Remember we discussed earlier the all-sufficient Jesus is all-wise. He is the source of our wisdom. He is the source of our knowledge. He is the source of our growth. He is the one that causes us to grow. But these things... Only have an appearance. There's no substance there. You remember earlier we read that Jesus Christ is not the shadow. He's the substance. Or these things are shadows. But Jesus is the substance. They only offer an appearance. They give us false sense of something of value. Uh, of something that we can place our hope in. He, in effect, is saying, I think in all of this, in, in the modern vernacular, that Jesus is the real deal. All of these other things uh, are false in terms of what they're advocating. Uh, they have no, no value to you. You gave up all of these things to become a slave of Jesus Christ, to live free also as a member of the body of Christ. Now, why in the world do you want to enslave yourself all over again to these principles uh, that these people are advocating? They're doctrines of men. They're not of Christ. They have no value. To end, I'd like to ask this question. And I hope to have some discussion from this. My earlier question was probably too far off the wall. But surely this one is one that we can think about and perhaps have thought about. Why in the world do some Christians really want to live in the world? What is there about it? About their faith or about the world that's such an attraction? That draws some people away. Yes, good point. They do not choose to be different. And it is a matter of choice, is it not? Uh, one of the things that I had meant to mention earlier, and this is a, a good time to mention it, God is a God of choice. God chose many things with respect to his plan for us. He gave us the freedom of choice also, particularly in this matter of the realm of opinion. I have the right within, within certain limits to do some things that, that are okay in my opinion, but again, Romans 14 tells us I can't impose on those on you but we have the right to choose, but you can make some wrong choices. What else? What are the reasons that people decide, I'm going to live in the world? Yes, Ray. Something that people, a lot of people would be afraid to even say vulnerable today in the workplace. Outside. At least where I come from. Yeah. Well, I think that's true. What, what uh, he's pointing out is is essentially peer pressure. We we're fearful of not being accepted in our workplace or in some friendship group or whatever. Uh, the world, yes, the world in general, right? You know, express your your faith. Yes. Yeah, that, that, is, that is very true. It's, it's some workplaces don't want you discussing religion, your faith, uh, anything, even making moral judgments, and and some it's so extreme uh, that. Uh, you don't have a right to judge someone else's lifestyle for instance what are what are other reasons perhaps you think of that people might choose christians choose they want to live in the world well, to you. Uh, that good? Yes. Indulgence of self-pleasure. Ah, yes, indulgence of self-pleasure. Thank you. Uh, other, other ideas, other thoughts? Yes. Yeah. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're running out of time. <laughs> Again, my hearing is getting travel to this side of the room. It's harder to be a Christian and be nice to people. Like accountability. I think it's much easier not to be accountable for your behavior, or or to look, you know, walk in someone else's shoes. But when you're a Christian, you you are kind of encouraged to <laughs> that constantly. You know, like you can discern, you know, discerning judgment. What I'm saying is like people get. Uh, now it's so, such a narcissistic culture, you do not like, well they triggered, like they got me upset so it's okay for me to behave this way or it's okay, you, you know there's a lack of accountability, it's, it's easier to be unaccountable for your behavior whereas a Christian you have to be because you're setting an example and you're simply trying to do the right thing yeah, yeah, lack, lack of accountability uh, in the world I can do anything I want to get away from these Christian people uh, and what they're trying to tell me to do I'm not accountable over here people don't bug me with that good point yes other thoughts monetary gain monetary (laughs) gain I, uh, you know, this, if I behave in this way, it might affect how I'm perceived on the job. It might, might get in the way of getting a promotion. Yes, sir? I couldn't hear everything, so I'm not sure if this has been said or not, but surely one of them would be that the world will communicate to you that if you are burdened by being a Christian, that you're not as intelligent they are. Yeah. That, uh, the world com- will often communicate to us that uh, if we are feel burdened, I believe I'm getting this right, as a Christian, then, uh, you know, you're... See, you're see Christianity as a burden. Yeah. yeah. And they would reject it, but they would consider us to be less intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Though, well, you are on this side. Um, <laughs> you know, this is probably another way to say what has already been said, but um, it is short sightedness you know, that makes the people love the world because they see the restrictions instead of the rewards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Looking at the near term reward by being in the world versus a far, far better reward uh, that that awaits us. Well, I guess that was the last bell. That means, right? I can turn my hearing aids off. <laughs> I'm teasing. But uh, thank you for being here. Uh, thanks to all of those folks that are watching by live stream. And uh, hope that uh, next week, I think we're promised warmer weather anyway and uh, not so many restrictions on being able to uh, carry out our normal worship and Bible study activities. Have a blessed day. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ. 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.